Good morning. Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Pittsburgh. Uh, we're delighted to have you here on this holiday weekend. Uh, there, can't hear me. Can you hear me now? This it's on. Okay, all right. I'll I'll stand closer. Uh, there are pew pads in the. Uh, each uh, pew, and please sign them so that we are aware of your presence. Dick Sprinkle is the Stephen Mister. If you have anything confidential you want to discuss with him, he'll be in the narthex. Uh, Under special bulletins, uh, the only thing I can think of right now is the deacon activities you'll see in your your program um, or bulletin. Um, And there are refreshments uh, that are served after service. Uh, please join us. Thank you. Uh, Bruce, are you good? Go for it. The love of God has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit that has been given to us. Let us worship God.
Please pray with me. Almighty God, at the Feast of Pentecost, you sent your Holy Spirit to the disciples, filling them with joy and boldness to preach the gospel. Empower us with the same Spirit to witness to your redeeming love and draw all people to you through Jesus Christ our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Jesus said, If you love me, you will obey what I command, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever, the Spirit of truth. Whoever has my commands and obeys them, he is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love him and show myself to him. Let us confess our sin to God. Almighty God, you poured your Spirit upon gathered disciples creating bold tongues, open ears, and a new community of faith. We confess that we hold back the force of your Spirit among us. We do not listen for your word of grace, speak the good news of your love, or live as a people made one in Christ. Have mercy on us, O God. Transform our timid lives by the power of your Spirit and fill us with a flaming desire be your faithful people, doing your will for the sake of Jesus Christ our Lord. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit of life sets us free from the law of sin and death. And if the Spirit of God who raised Jesus from the dead lives in us, God who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to our mortal bodies through the Spirit who lives in us. Before you sit down, two things I want you to do. Turn around and take a look at the choir. Go ahead. Show off your stoles. Beautiful, wonderful. You look very Pentecostal this morning without flame. And I also want to do a little shout out to Lily right here. Lily, you know how to sing the Gloria Patri all the way through, don't you? Well done, sweetheart. Now you may be seated. See, you teach well. It takes a congregation to do that. And of course, Scripture teaches us well. We learn the history of the story of Pentecost from Acts 2, and I invite you to hear God's word to you. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly from heaven there came a sound like the rush of a violent wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Divided tongues as a fire appeared among them, and a tongue rested on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other languages as the Spirit gave them ability. Now there were devout Jews from every nation under heaven living in Jerusalem, and at this sound the crowd gathered and was bewildered. 
because each one heard them speaking in the native language of each. Amazed and astonished, they asked, Are not all those who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs. In our own languages, we hear them speaking about God's deeds of power. All were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others sneered and said, They are filled with new wine. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them, Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it is only nine o'clock in the morning. No, this is what was spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy, and I will show portents in the heaven above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Rather than call children up, I'm going to come down here. And I want to point out a couple things to all of you. What did you see in the church today that looked really different? The balloons. You know, I thought so too. And Craig Kunkel put helium in those balloons. And you know what I wanted to do? I wanted to ask him for a balloon so that I could suck out the helium of the balloon and maybe read the scripture lesson that way. Because you know what happens? It makes your voice sound like the chipmunks. It really gives you a funny-sounding voice if you can suck the helium on a balloon. But these balloons, and what color are these? Red. Red. And I wore red, and there's a lot of people wearing red because it's Pentecost today. Pastor Carey's got on red. Yeah, you've got close, it's pink. Yeah, it's close, partly red. Well, something I want to tell you about The um, story of Pentecost tells about the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit kind of came as wind or air. I don't think it came as helium, but it did come as air and it kind of changed the world. A reminder to you, at the end of worship today... I thought maybe some of you would like to come and untie the balloon and take the balloon with you. You'd have to hold on to it. So at the end of worship, because pretty soon you'll be able to go to Sunday school, but I thought you'd want to do this. I want to introduce Nevin Fisher to you. Nevin's sitting over here. Nevin, stand up for a second. Nevin's professor over at Nazareth. And... Nevin, tell people what you did your Ph.D. thesis on. The Chinese church. The Chinese church. 
Christian church in China. And Nevin brought back from China, in one of his visits there, this paper cut. And I thought, what a great color of a paper cut for Pentecost. And so we had it framed by the great frame-up. It's kind of delicate. It's museum glass on this side and plexiglass on the back to cover up the weight. We will hang it. And um, uh, it's so intricate. One woman cut this, didn't she, Nevin? And this actually is a picture that has a title to it. And the title, come on up here, take a look, and you tell me what's in the bottom of the picture. Can you see what is all of this cut out? What is that? It's red, and what are these? Fish, yeah, those are fish. And these skeletons. Yeah, kind of fish skeletons. And these are these are people here, right? Yeah, this is pretty fun. This name of this painting is I Will Make You Fishers of Men, which comes right from the Bible. It's a paper cut. And uh, some people might want to come at the end of worship and look at this as you get balloons. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Well, thank you for coming up. Yeah, you can't feel it. It's glass. Oh, it did? Oh. No, I didn't see it. You did? Well, thank you. You saw it. <laughs> well, have a great time in Sunday school today. That would be good. A litany for Memorial Day. We remember and honor those whose lives were given in service to us. The 184,000 who served in the Revolutionary War and the 4,435 who died in that service. The 286,703 who served in the War of 1812 and the 6,765 who died in that service. 78,718 who served in the Mexican War and the 13,283 who died in that service. The 3,500,000 who served in the Civil War and the 500,000 who served the Civil War and the 530,000 who died in that service. The 306,760 who served in the Spanish-American War and the 2,446 who died in that service. The 4,743,826 who served in World War I and the 116,708 who died in that service. The 16,353,659 who served in World War II, and the 407,316 who died in that service. 
the 5,764,143 who served in the Korean War and the 33,651 who died in that service. The 8,744,000 who served in the Vietnam War and the 58,168 who died in that service. The 467,539 who served in the Persian Gulf War and the 268 who died in that service. The 320,000 who served and are serving in the Afghanistan War and the 492 who have died in that service. The 1,680,000 who served and are serving in the Iraq War and the 4,021 who have died in that service. The litany for those who fly kites is for Pentecost. Those who fly kites know that kites are earthbound, really, and cannot lift and soar until they are caught by the wind. Kites are not free to thrust and move until they are let go to explore the sky. Kites have no power and direction unless they are caught and controlled by the wind. O God, may your spirit lift us from being earthbound and free us to soar, to explore, to have direction and purpose. O God, help us to fly as people by to love and to love. Amen. Ezekiel 37. 
The hand of the Lord came upon me, and he brought me out by the Spirit of the Lord, and set me down in the middle of a valley. It was full of bones. He led me all around them. There were very many lying in the valley, and they were very dry. He said to me, Mortal, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. And then he said to me, Prophesy to these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. I will lay sinews on you and will call flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So, I prophesied as I had been commandment and as I prophesied, suddenly there was a noise, a rattling, And the bones came together, bone to its bone. I looked, and there were sinews on them. Flesh came upon them, and the skin had them covered, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, Prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, mortal, and say to the breath, Thus says the Lord God, Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they might live. I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet a vast multitude. Then he said to me, Mortal, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost. We are cut off completely. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, I am going to open your graves and bring you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you back to the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and bring you up, O my people. I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you on your own soil. Then you shall know that I, the Lord, have spoken and will act, says the Lord. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
Some of us had wondered what it would be like to celebrate Pentecost in China. Next Pentecost. That would be kind of wonderful, wouldn't it, Evan? Pentecost is a noun. It's a very good noun. Strong, clear, confident of of its identity. It can stand in any room and say what it is. That's what nouns are. That's what nouns do. Nouns give you definition. Pentecost. An early harvest festival celebrated in the ancient Near East among many peoples, including the Jews. Pentecost. The birthday of the church. Pentecost. A festival celebrated 50 days after Easter or in Judaism, seven weeks and one day after Passover. But when you make Pentecost into an adjective, it becomes anxious and nervous and uncertain, standing first on one foot and then the other. I mean, it wants to be a good adjective as it runs around looking for a noun to modify. But it doesn't know which noun, and it becomes uncertain as unintended consequences seem to lurk when it's paired with particular nouns. The adjective is the word Pentecostal. And the word carries with it pride for some, and embarrassment for others. I remember celebrating a baptism with a family where the mother of the baby had invited her father, who was a Navy chaplain, to officiate. And he asked, shall I wear my pectoral cross? Now the elder, who was to assist in the baptism, asked, Reverend Bope, what is a Pentecostal cross? Do you wear one? And then the chaplain, overhearing the question, announced that he had said it was a pectoral cross, not a Pentecostal cross. A pectoral cross is so named because it is suspended over the pectoral muscles. Well, the elder looked down, and he was a little embarrassed. The chaplain, seeing the downward gaze, said, Of course, um, Mine is on a slightly longer chain, so I guess we could call it a navel cross, he said. (laughs) We have an adjective that is misunderstood sometimes because we have mistakenly attempted, quite sincerely, to manufacture the enthusiasm and achievement of Pentecost, which Luke has described for us. But one really can't manufacture enthusiasm, or achievement. The Holy Spirit came as a gift. Others tried to reproduce the first Pentecost, and this may be tragic because not everyone can actually imitate one experience and translate it to another. Events that are meaningful are geared to the time and place and people and needs and circumstances where they occur. And to take that uncritically to another time can be very confusing. But we in the church still use this word. 
We want it to be appropriate. We want it to be a good adjective to describe the renewal of our life and our witness and to recover that quality that was such a spark of hope for the first century church. Of course, some churches who have attached this adjective to their name do so to describe themselves as congregations where, because of speaking in tongues, they have Pentecostal experience. And some long for the glossolalia characteristic of parts of the New Testament of their worship. But in the book of Acts, this speaking of tongues is not described as any glossolalia. It's described as actual languages. That's what Carrie read. Amazed and astonished, they ask, are not all these who are speaking Galileans? How is it we hear each of us in our own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontius and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt? Even as the examination of the languages seems a little startling, if you begin an analysis of the Medes, for example you will find that they had been destroyed when they were conquered by Cyrus the Great in 550 B.C. And except for a few surviving proper names, the language was also destroyed. This would be like saying, in our worship this morning, we want to welcome the Ducarm family who have come from Belgium to be with their grandchildren. And the Schwartz family from Germany who are visiting today and the Chang family from China. And we'd also like to welcome this cute little Hittite couple who have come all the way from 1100 BC to be with us this morning. See, the Hittite language was wiped out around 1100 BC. Or could it be that the miracle was not so much that people were speaking different languages as much that everyone heard those speaking in their own language so that the miracle was actually one of translation. Larry was not a cable guy, but he was a businessman who had to give a brief lecture in Latin America. Larry was going to use a translator, but to identify with his audience, he decided to begin his talk using just a few words of Spanish. He was going to say, good evening, ladies and gentlemen. He arrived at the auditorium a little early, and he realized that he did not know the Spanish words for ladies and gentlemen. But Larry was resourceful. He went to the part of the building where the restrooms were located. He looked at the two signs on those two doors, and he memorized the two words. When the audience arrived and Larry was introduced, he stood up and said in Spanish, Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. The audience was shocked. People looked stunned. He did not know if he had offended them or if perhaps they hadn't heard him. So he just repeated it. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. One person in the audience began to snicker, and pretty soon the entire 
audience was roaring in laughter. And finally, someone told him that what he had said was good evening, bathrooms, and broom closets, which was not what he was hoping to say. It pays to know the language of the people to whom you're speaking. But that works both ways, right? And it works also with um, our accent. New Yorker is visiting in the home of a Kentucky business colleague, and the wife introduced him to their lovely little daughter, and she said, her name is Marlon, and uh, she's a very proud mom, and, and she said, we named her after my favorite movie star. And, and this New Yorker asked, what, you named your daughter after Marlon Brando? No, silly. I named him after Marlon Monroe. (laughs) It helps if you can speak the language of the person to whom you are speaking. That's what I love about this story of the first Pentecost. And most every Pentecost we wear something red to remind us of the tongues of flame that appeared above the heads of each. And then we have this Old Testament passage that we read and say, well, that's really bizarre. I don't think we're going to go anywhere with that. Because every Pentecost we read the story of Ezekiel. Every time I read that, the only thing I get in my mind is this, them bones, them bones, them dry bones. (laughs) It takes on new meaning in the hands of Michael Crichton and Steven Spielberg. You know, in their best-selling science fiction work, Jurassic Park, Crichton introduces the reader to a group of scientists and entrepreneurs who discover a way to take the DNA from the bones of dinosaurs and somehow create living, breathing, prehistoric creatures. These creators plan to open a theme park called Jurassic Park in which the entire clan can go and enjoy the wholesome family entertainment of dinosaurs roaming around. Then as the theme park is being previewed by some renowned biogenetics wizard in true scientific faction, everything seems to start to go wrong. The scene in Ezekiel is graphic, unforgettable. It's the substance of art and music. This passage is one of four major visions that the prophet Ezekiel has, each introduced with the phrase, and the hand of the Lord was upon me. The four visions all relate to community, and while this passage has been interpreted by some as bodily resurrection and is applied to individuals, a careful reading suggests that the prophet is addressing an entire community that needs to be resurrected. These are the people who've been in captivity, who hope to go home from Babylon to Israel. Can these bones live? That's the pivotal question of the text. Only God knows. If there is to be life for such utterly dead bones, then it will not be through human effort or self-achievement. It will be because God will act, not unlike the wind. 
Breath will be given to the bones. What does death look like? I mean, maybe you have seen it in an individual. Gradual wasting away, flesh, skin hanging on frail arms and legs. The last rattling gasp for breath that is prelude to final letting go. We covered up on TV. But institutional death also comes. Institutional death are bones lying scattered like a faded Sunday school quarterly strewn about a room that hasn't been used. Dark hallways where children once hurried to their classes, now dark, dusty, vacant. Grass growing in the corners of the parking lot. A frantic search for some community agency, a counseling service, some other group to rent unused space for a church now preoccupied with keeping a roof over the building. It is a marriage fractured beyond belief, the life of it sucked out by alcohol and abuse and neglect and insensitivity. The skeletal remains of it now collapse into study chairs. The pastor looks out on it all and asks, God, can these bones live? A valley of dry bones. The valley of the shadow of death. It's a frightening, lonely place when it's your family or your church or your town. Israel is in exile. They were as good as dead. They were cut off without hope except for the breath of God. Ezekiel said, Israel is like a valley of dry bones. Yes, so dead that they were dry. And yet he has this vision of a wind and breath in the bones. If this congregation lives, if we survive as God's people here in this place, it will be as a gift, as the result of God's gracious spirit blowing, giving us what we cannot create on our own. We can't recreate Jurassic Park, but we will have to probably do some things a little different. How shall we bring together that grace lost group who sees their sons and daughters graduate and then vanish? Where are those 22 to 30 year old singles? How might we help them find a place? How do we fuse our desire to bring back the days as they once were to a culture that has moved with Instagram and the acceptance of things an earlier generation would have abhorred? Do we merely shout at others and tell them to change and become like us? How do we protect things for people who want some place to go where alcohol isn't a part of the temptation 
while at the same time recognize that if we eliminate wine from our fellowship hall or the opportunity for a champagne toast, we may never see another reception there for a wedding again. Or we may have to say goodbye to a younger generation who will go fishing in other seas. Should the preacher be piously righteous and dry? I remember a critique offered to a student in a preaching class. Sir, you would have made a great martyr. If your body is like your sermon, you would burn well. What a caustic appraisal. I mean, we have had theologians over the years who spar with each other. Fifty years ago in Germany, there was a running debate between two great theologians, Karl Barth, Emil Brunner, over, who was, what was the point of contact? Professor Barth would say, there is no point of contact. The image of God in the listener has been totally erased by sin. And he wrote, don't prepare introductions to any sermons. What are you trying to do? Get people interested Don't get involved in the idolatry of trying to relate to your congregation. Let the scripture itself speak to them. Just read the gospel. God will prepare the ear. God will give the message. Trust totally in God for all of it. Then there was Professor Bruner said, No, 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 no. There's something important in the way you craft messages. Many a preacher will, on account of what is said, go to heaven, and on account of how dull it was, go to hell. What do we do? I remember a Friday when the president of Diebold Corporation, the company that makes safes and automatic bank teller machines, was asked, Which subjects should we be teaching in our schools? And we kind of all suspected he was going to suggest, oh, we should be teaching more about the use of our computers, electronics, and physics. But his answer was this. We should be teaching our students languages, especially Chinese, Spanish, Japanese, Russian, French, German, and Arabic. We now live in a global economy, and he recognized that chief executive officers of corporations in other countries speak a variety of languages, while most of the U.S. ones speak but one. And he acknowledged that English has become the language of commerce, like Greek was a long time ago, But he suggested if we want to compete in the international marketplace, then we're going to have to learn the parlance of others. Do you know at which age we learn languages the easiest? Between the ages of three and ten. That sort of recommends that our study of language should begin a lot earlier than junior high, doesn't it? What would happen if First Presbyterian Church should meet this challenge by offering opportunities for young students to learn languages at an earlier age?
Who else is doing this? I remember I left home when I was 16. And I went to Norway where I finished high school. There were no texts to learn Norwegian. So I bought a Norwegian New Testament. And I started to read my revised standard version of the Bible that I had and compare the words in the Norwegian text with the new revised standard version that I took with me. And I began to learn the language. Now, what I wasn't prepared for was in the, in the process, I was also learning what the New Testament had to say. But I remember the euphoria. I awoke one December day and realized that I had dreamt in Norwegian. No translating going on in the dream. It was just New Norsk. And I thought to myself, it must have been like this for the disciples to have the breath of God blow on them, the sound of wind, the tongues of flame, and then to hear these fishermen, uneducated fishermen, traveling companions to Jesus, extemporaneously and without academic preparation begin to speak in their tongue the breath of God from the Holy Spirit. It was a miracle of Pentecost. Maybe we will come to some new miracles and awareness. What happens if we were wake up tomorrow and in our dream come to this new insight? I can no longer be comfortable with my prejudices. I am less judgmental. I need to forgive. My natural inclination is to think only of myself, but because of Christ I can no longer ignore the needs of others. I need to change. You wake up and a new language speaks to you. The guilt with which I have lived has been taken away. What happens if the translation is, you know, I can no longer sin in peace. Well, the world could be transformed by that. Does it really matter whether one is an old liberal who says, I think the image of God is still there in all of us, or a conservative who says the image of God was really present only in Jesus Christ, does it really matter if one is Bartian and says, "Twas grace that taught my heart to fear and grace my fears relieved, or Talikian and Boltmanian construction of the human situation? I don't know. But I do think we do need to have the breath of God's spirit on us for us to change. If we do, if we meet the needs of people with the gospel, because of our kindness, we might hear them say, I think I hear the gospel 
being spoken to Parthians and Medes and Elamites and Asians and Chinese and South Americans. I think I hear the gospel now being spoken to teenagers and children and baby boomers and baby boomerangers and retired persons and singles. I not only hear, but I think I'm beginning to see the gospel being spoken to millennials and generation Xers and to baby boomers and builders before them and even generation Zers now. When God sends forth God's spirit, amazing things will happen. Barriers will be broken. Communities will be formed. Opposites will be reconciled. Unity will be established. Disease will be cured. Addiction will be broken. Cities will be renewed. Races will be reconciled. Hope will be established. People will be blessed and church happens. And when the breath of Pentecost blows on old bones, Discouraged folks, cheer up. Dishonest folks, fess up. Sour folks, sweeten up. Closed folk, open up. Gossipers, shut up. Conflicted folks, make up. Sleeping folks, wake up. Lukewarm folks, fire up. And dry bones, shake up. And pew potatoes, stand up. Please pray with me. God of wind, fire, and fire, we bless your name this day for sending the light and strength of your Holy Spirit. We give you thanks for all the gifts, great and small, that have been poured out upon your children. Accept us with our gifts to be living praise and witness to your love throughout all the earth. Through Jesus Christ, who lives with you, in the unity of the Holy Spirit, one God forever. Amen.
please be seated, friends. Friends, you'll notice that there are prayers for Pentecost. Please join me in the litany. Holy Spirit, creator, in the beginning you moved over the waters. From your breath all creation drew life. Without you, life turns to dust. Holy Spirit, Counselor, by your inspiration, the prophets spoke and acted in faith. You clothed them in power to be bearers of your word. Holy Spirit, Spirit, power, you came as fire to Jesus' disciples. You gave them voice before the rulers of the world. Holy Spirit, Spirit, sanctifier, you created us children of God. You make us the living temple of your presence. You intercede within us with Sighs too deep for words. On this Pentecost Day, we also recall those who, for the sake of freedom, willingly entrusted their lives into your care. Our memories of them and their sacrifice help to orient our living and our serving. And we do give thanks for those veterans who have served us. George Cooper, I see you amongst us, having served. And there are a handful of others as well, including... Laura McAllister, who might have served us the most recently. We give thanks for all servicemen and women. We also give thanks for the beautiful flowers on the retable today. They are a lovely expression of Judy Messenger's creativity, but they're also an announcement of joy because their eldest, Jeff, proposed and Rebecca accepted. So we join in with joy. We also give thanks that our garden club has decided that for summer Sundays, they will be filling in with their own gardens. So if you want to add to that joy, check the flower calendar and you might be able to add in your own gardening joy. We also give thanks that healing comes in many forms. Beverly Henning let us know in the 8.30 morning service that her nephew, for whom we had prayed a few months ago, successfully had a lung transplant. Can you imagine that that can be done? And... In about four to eight weeks, they expect to be able to release him for the University of Pennsylvania's Medical Center, and he will breathe the Holy Spirit. We also give thanks and praise that God helps us through all the transitions in our lives. Roberta Falloon, thank you for letting us know about Betty Phelps and for her decision to be in hospice care at the Highlands and in her own room. And we are with her in in prayers for for her and for her family. We also give thanks and praise that in transitions that we are supported by a family of faith. So we are in prayer with Connie Hodgkins, whose son Kenneth passed away this week, and his memorial service will be held out of town next week. We're also in prayer for Terry Skews's family as her mother passed away a few weeks ago, and her interment will be held at Whitehaven on June 13th. Pat, I see that the Miller clan is here in force. It's wonderful, and we remember and miss Bob. We'll be remembering him as we inter his remains this afternoon. Thank you, dear. True and only light, from whom comes every good gift, send your spirit into our lives with the power of a mighty wind. Open the horizons of our minds by the flame of your wisdom. Loosen our tongues to show your praise For it is your spirit that we voice our prayers, our hopes for peace, 
and our desire that your will be done on earth as it is in heaven, just as Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. the world needs to hear the language of love and of kindness but sometimes the only way that people will hear is by what they see go in peace may the love of God the Father the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ 
and the blessing and comfort of the Holy Spirit go with us and abide with us all today and in the life everlasting. Amen.